Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Consumed Sermon Series, which talks about loving God and loving others with everything that we have. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. All right. Well, the book of Esther, this is where we've been, and uh, in a, a great series, Evidence, Seeing God When You Don't See God, and uh, we have not been in the series for a while, uh, about three weeks or so, and so we're going to take some time this morning just to recap, get everybody on the same page. You'll remember uh, the book of Esther, you can't really see the graph too much, but the book of Esther kind of falls in between the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. If you were to go and do some research, you would find that the children of Israel under Cyrus, they were given... Uh, the opportunity to go back into Israel, into the promised land, but a number of them actually stayed in the Medo-Persian Empire. And what we've met in Esther is we've come and, and we've kind of come face to face with this group of people that chose not to go back to the land of Israel, chose not to go back to the promised land, but they instead stayed there in the Medo-Persian Empire. And who we met in the very first chapter is we met King Ahasuerus. And King Ahasuerus, he was the king of 127 provinces. And if you'll remember, he was a very uh, proud man, a very arrogant man. And we found that just in the first few verses. How do we know? It's because he threw a party. And his party wasn't to celebrate his father. His party was to celebrate himself. And so he threw a 180-day party, invited all 127 provinces to come to Shushan the palace for 180 days to celebrate him. He spoke of his greatness. He spoke of his riches. He spoke of how uh, wonderful he was. And at the end of the 180 days, King Ahasuerus had this plan to throw a party for just those in Shushan the palace. After all, they've been hosting for 180 days. Now they should experience some of this excitement for themselves. And so he throws a party for just Shushan the palace. And for six days, they're, excuse me, for seven days, they're having this party in Shushan the palace. And the Bible tells us that this king, King Ahasuerus and his men, they got so drunk that he did something that uh, many uh, commentators and historians look to to say it was one of the foolish, most foolish decisions a king could make. His decision was he wasn't uh, happy enough with uh, gloating about his riches and his kingdom. He also wanted to let people know how great he was and gloat in his wife. And so he called, his, called for his wife to come and model before the princes that were there. Well, Queen Vashti, you'll remember that she said no. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, there was a certain counselor, a certain counselor. We've called him Mepukin, remember that? But his name is really Mamukin, all right? So don't be talking to somebody and say, well, there's a Mamukin in the Bible. There's not. That's just what we call him. Mamukin, he's in there in Esther chapter number one. And Mamukin, he says, well, king, something needs to be done. Your wife didn't listen to you. And if your wife doesn't listen to you, then my wife's not going to listen to me. And his wife's not going to listen to him. And his wife's not. You're just going to create a whole bunch of marriage problems. And so, king, you need to ban your wife. And king Ahasuerus and his drunkenness, he listens and he calls and tells Vashti, you're no longer queen, you're banished, and yeah, you need to pack up your stuff and get out. Well, Esther chapter 2, verse number 1, he realizes that was a foolish decision. Because it says that when his, his wrath was appeased, when he kind of came to himself, he sobered up a little bit and realized that, boy, anger causes me to make stupid decisions. 
Isn't that true in our life? Man, anger causes, causes some of the most foolish decisions. And that's what King Ahasuerus was experiencing. And he had banished Vashti. And now he's thinking, well, what am I going to do? And in his loneliness, he seeks counsel again. And the counselors, they come to him, and uh, probably led by Mapukin, comes to him and says, well, you know what, king? You should throw a, a, um, a modeling uh, party. What, what? Beauty pageant. Thank you, my brain. It's back there in my notes. <clears throat> Couldn't think of what it was. We'll call it a modeling party. Uh, throw a beauty pageant and, and pick the, the most beautiful uh, virgin and have her come and she can be your wife. And you go, we're not going to get into it, but he goes through this process and they go and they go to all 127 provinces and they knock on doors. Do you have any virgins that live in the house? Yes. Okay. We're taking them. And by force, they took them and they came and they knocked on one door. It was the door of a man called Mordecai. They knocked on his door and he answered the door. I said, excuse me, do you have any uh, fair young virgins here? He says, as a matter of fact, I do. I have uh, my cousin whom I've been raising as my own daughter. Her name is Hadassah and we know her as Esther. And by force, they took her. And we read in Esther chapter number two that she underwent the, the year-long process of purifying. And then it was her turn to go before the king. We see Esther's humility in the fact that all of these young women are going before the king and they're taking meals and taking, trying to wear certain outfits and trying to uh, go in maybe to, with the king's uh, favorite foods or favorite drinks to please the king. And the Bible tells us in Esther chapter two, I believe in verse number, um, maybe verse number seven or verse number eight, that Esther, she required nothing. She required nothing. It shows us her humility that when it's her turn to go before the king, she required nothing. Well, what we read in the word of God is basically it was love at first sight. The king just saw Esther and chose her to be queen. The next day, Esther, she's queen. She's queen, this young Jew. You see, because what the Bible tells us in Esther chapter two in verse number uh, five or six is that Mordecai, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew. And though the word of God in, in the book of Esther, though God's name is not listed, that is a direct correlation saying, hey, this Mordecai, he was a man of God and his niece, or excuse me, his cousin Esther, she was being raised to be a woman of God. And what God was doing, this is where we see God when you don't see God is God was working behind the scenes to set the stage for what you would read in chapter number three. Because in chapter three, we read about the promotion of another person. Esther, she got promoted to queen. There's another man, he got promoted to prime minister. His name was Haman. Haman the Agagite, or the Agagite. And you go back and you can find that Haman is actually a descendant of uh, the Amalekites, the, uh, those who would be against God and those, Brother Rich and I were talking, those that uh, um, God had told them, I want you to annihilate this people group. And um, I believe it was Saul did not obey and, and did not annihilate them. And so now you have generations later, problems still happening for the people of God because of the disobedience of the fathers. Can I just tell you right now, you never know what your decisions today will affect in your family's future. And so make godly decisions today. Why? Because you never know the decisions that you make right now, how they will come back to affect your family. And here's Saul not making the decision to annihilate this people group. And now we see years later, Haman, the Agagite, the Amalekite, 
He's now prime minister in media Persian empire. He's second in command. Uh, above him only is the king himself and, of course, the queen. Well, with that position, if you'll recall, with, a, with that position of prime minister, it was declared that whenever Haman walked into a room, everybody in the room must bow to worship. Not bow in reverence. You see, there's a difference. Bowing in reverence says, I recognize your office. Bowing in worship says, I bow to you as I would a God. Well, there's one person that he keeps, as Haman would come into a room, there's one person that Haman would notice doesn't bow. Who is it? Mordecai. He's a gatekeeper. And what we read, we read in Esther chapter number three, two and three, the reason that Mordecai wouldn't bow, I believe, is because Mordecai understood there is only one God that I worship. There is only one God that I truly bow to. And Mordecai, he didn't stand in defiance. Some people like to write and say that Mordecai was just kind of being stubborn and just kind of, well, I would never bow. And you know what? I believe that Mordecai understood. No, I'm not doing this out of disrespect. I'm doing this because... My worship belongs only to him. I would bow in reverence, but I'm not. I am not gonna bow in worship. My worship, my heart, it belongs to him. Well, this, uh, in, this uh, completely enraged Haman, right, with that jealous and that angry spirit. Remember what Haman did? He came back and he's thinking, well, what can I do? This guy, Mordecai, he won't bow before me and he's a Jew. I bet you that all the Jews have this thought that only their God should be worshiped. And so Haman goes and he goes to the king and says, king, there's a people group. They're like a parasite in our kingdom. And king, king Ahasuerus, what you need to do is you need to annihilate this people group. And as a matter of fact, I will pay for the entire thing. I will put all of the money into the king's treasury if you let me annihilate this people group. And he never mentioned who the people group was. The king said, well, Haman, sure, you're the prime minister, go for it. And so it's sealed with the king's signet and the decree goes out. And in all 127 provinces, we read the decree. The decree is that all of the Jews are going to die. It is the month April right now, and the decree says that this is going to take place on the 13th of March. Jews, you have 11 months, and you're going to be annihilated. Well, Esther chapter 3 tells us that word gets to Mordecai. Mordecai reads this, and he clothes himself in sackcloth and sits in ashes and begins to fast and pray and, and mourn. Esther gets word of it, and, and in a spirit of encouragement, I believe, Esther sends a servant to, to Mordecai with a change of clothes. Mordecai, change, get dressed, don't, don't be out here. Whatever you're going through, it'll be okay. And, and he was not inside the king's gate, but he was out of the king's gate. He, he wasn't even uh, really in the area he was supposed to be in because he knew that you couldn't be in there in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther, she didn't send to him in fear. She sent to him trying to encourage him. Mordecai, it'll be okay, it'll be all all right. And he sends word back. Haven't you heard? Well, heard what? Haven't you heard that Haman has put a hit out on every Jew and that includes you? And Mordecai writes to Esther, Esther, you need to go before the king and you need to ask for your people. She writes back and she says, Mordecai, this is not to be done. You don't go in before the king unless you've been called, and I have not been called in over a month. If I go in and I'm not, the scepter isn't reached out to me, then Mordecai, you know the law, I, I'll be killed. 
And the great famous passage of Esther chapter number three in verses 14 through 17, you read that Mordecai challenges Esther and he says, Esther, it could very well be that everything we have gone through, Esther, maybe the reason your parents passed away and maybe the reason I raised you, Esther, maybe the whole reason that I, that I cried the night they took you away in, in the captivity, really, uh, to, be, to become a, 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 a concubine of the king and you're made his wife. And uh, Esther, maybe the entire reason that you've been promoted, Esther, maybe the entire point to all of this is because God has you as queen for such a time as this. Esther, don't overlook that maybe just maybe God has purpose with your life. Boy, what a great truth for us. You know what? You know what we do sometimes in situations? Dustin, you know what we do is we're going through a rough situation and we had a great lesson in all of our Sunday, all of our Life Stage Fellowship classes this morning. When we get in a trial, you know what we do? We go, I can't believe God would do this. I can't, I can't believe, doesn't, doesn't God, doesn't God see what I've been doing? Doesn't God, and we go through trials and we get frustrated at God. Here's a man going through a trial. I mean, he's about to be killed. And yet he says, I believe God has purpose in this. Wow. And then the encouragement comes, Esther, don't ever underestimate your purpose in this. Can I just tell you that you are born into the family you are born into, into the time you are born into. You are born and I am born with purpose. You're not just a blob, right, right? That's what schools want to teach now. You're not here without purpose. No, you have purpose for such a time as this. And that's what Mordecai encouraged Esther in. Well, Esther, she, she said, all right. All right, Mordecai. And she said to her uh, servant, hey, I want you to send back word Send back word and tell Mordecai, fast and pray. And in three days, I'm going to go before the king. Now you look and what, what we believe, and we talked through this three weeks ago. You can go online and listen to the whole message. I believe that this is a time when God allowed the trial to come in the children of Israel's life to turn their heart back to him. You see, they had resisted to go into the promised land and many of these uh, Jewish people were actually living in disobedience and probably not really right with God and what God does in Esther chapter number three is he uses a trial to turn eyes back to him. Did you know that that's what God wants to do? Anytime you face a trial, anytime you face a hardship, anytime you have burdens or uh, a load bearing down on you, you know what God wants it to do? He doesn't want to use it to cause you uh, grief. He doesn't want to use it to cause heartache in your life. No, the reason God allows trials, the Bible teaches is so that we would point back to him and focus back in him. And so whether you're in a trial, out of a trial or going through or going into a trial, you need to understand that the purpose of that is to draw your focus back to the Lord. The statement has been made that God will never give us more than we can bear. And I understand the sentiment behind that. But you know what the fact is? That God, I believe, he does give us more than we can bear. Why? So that we'll turn to him and say, I can't do this. God, I can't deal with this. God, I need your help. I need your direction. And that's where we find the children of Israel. Well, we come this morning to Esther and chapter number five. 
the decree in Esther 4, the decree of prayer has just been uh, sent out. And Esther chapter number five this morning is where we're going to start. And so I invite you to take your Bible and stand with me if you would. Esther chapter number five. And we're going to read uh, Esther chapter 5 and chapter 6, but we'll just kind of jump around to start this morning. But I want to begin Esther chapter number 5 and verse number 1. We read these words. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of his scepter. Go down to verse number seven. We read these words. The king had just asked Esther what uh, would be done. And she said, I want you to come to a, a banquet that I've prepared for you. Verse number seven. Then answered Esther and said, my petition and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. So Haman and, more, Haman and King Ahasuerus, they go to Esther's banquet. And at the banquet, she asked them to come to another banquet. Now, there may be a plan here. There may not be a plan here. It could just be that women are weird. <laughs> but we don't know. Anyway, if you go down, uh, look at verse number... Uh, um Verse number 11, it says, And Haman told, them of, told uh, them of the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Skip down to chapter 6 and verse number 1. On that night could not the king sleep. And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were, uh, and they were read before the king. Go to verse number 10. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste. And take the apparel of the horse, the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Now this morning, we're kind of jumping around, and I just want to highlight a few verses. We're going to cover both chapters. But I want you to see this morning, as we look, we're introduced again to all of our characters. King Ahasuerus, Esther, Haman, Mordecai, they're all right there again. But this morning, I want to ask you a question. I'll explain the question in just a second. But the question I want to ask you is what flavor, what flavor will you choose this week? Now that question makes no sense right now, does it? All right, we're going to pray and I want you to ponder that question. What in the world could he mean? Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at these four characters and understand that every one of them represents a different type of character, a different flavor of character. And this week, you're going to choose what your character is. You're going to choose what you are this coming week. And so I want to ask you, what are you going to choose? What flavor will you choose? We're going to pray, and then we'll get right in the word of God. Dear Lord, we come before you today, and we thank you for the word. We pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd give clarity of thought and direction. Lord, I pray that you'd be with my mind and words and actions. And Lord, for these next few minutes, that you would speak to us. Now, before I close my prayer, would you take a moment and just ask God to speak to you personally today? Lord, again, we commit this time to you and pray that you would work in our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As I stated at the beginning of the service, we 
had our 15th anniversary trip and we had been uh, saving up. And so we decided to, to take, really it was Hannah's kind of dream trip. We drove, uh, the, drove down to Santa Cruz, California. And then there's a, a highway that goes right along the, the ocean for about seven hours, Highway 1 and 101 right there. And, and so we just took eight days and that seven hour stretch and just hung out. And, and I went to a bunch of different beach towns and didn't get eaten by a shark and took a lot of pictures and all that stuff. But a few of the things that we did on our trip is number one, Hannah had a, this goal to find the perfect cinnamon roll. Perfect cinnamon roll. I will tell you, we found it. It's in Pismo Beach at a place called Old West Cinnamon Rolls and the ladies from Seattle. Anyway, great cinnamon roll. Uh, the other thing was to find good cups of coffee. Not to just go to your normal coffee places, though we did a few times, but to find a really good cup of coffee. But the third thing, which was kind of my desire, is that we try as many ice cream shops as we could because I love ice cream. We found one ice cream shop, and this is crazy. We walked into the ice cream shop, and I am not exaggerating. There was over, I, I believe, over 50 different flavors of ice cream that you could get. Oh, it was amazing. And you could try them all. I spent some time there. But my favorite was on our last night, we were driving and we were, had about an hour and a half drive and I, I had looked up ice cream in the area. And I forget the name of the place, but we go and it was literally just a little hut on the side of the highway. And it, it was one of the best ice creams, been around forever, all made there. I mean, it was, I don't know where they stored everything, but we pull in and the, we could see a bunch of people leaving. And so we got in, right after we got in, I mean, the place just started filling up. But what made this place so special? There was only about 25 or 30 different flavors of ice cream. But what made it so amazing to me is that they didn't just give you the little toothpick taste. You know, if you go, how many of you go to an ice cream shop and you, you try the flavors? When you do that, they just give you an itty bitty little, you know, they dip a toothpick down in there, just a little, uh, one of those little tongue things, you know, and yet they put that on a, and they just give you just this little itty bitty taste. I was expecting that, and so I went and I said, uh, I, wanna try, I wanna try this one right here. And she said, okay, this one right here? I said, yeah. She grabbed a scooper, and she put a, a small size scoop in this little cup. And I was like, is that a trial size? She said, yes, sir. I was like, well, how many of them am I, am I allowed to have? <laughs> and she said, you can try them all. I was like, I think I'll do that. And I went through, I didn't try every one of them, but I went through and I, I had about seven scoops of ice cream before I even ordered my ice cream. And it was awesome. And it was awesome. There was all this selection. But you want to know what I settled in on? After I'd done all the choices, what'd you say, Craig? I settled in on dark chocolate with peanut butter. That's what I settled in on. I mean, I tried all these ice creams and they had all these wonderful flavors and all this stuff and the Oreo ice cream and, and peanut butter cup ice cream. And I don't know, they probably had a rainbow sherbet. And there's all this ice cream there. And you know what I did? I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that dark chocolate right there. And then I want the vanilla ice cream that's laced with peanut butter and peanut butter chunks. I want that on top of it. I think at every stop, Hannah probably was confused because I tried everything, but I always settled back in on chocolate peanut butter. Why? Why not? That's me. I love chocolate peanut butter ice cream. 
You know what I do? I'm kind of one of those guys that I can try all those flavors, but I'm always going to come back to the same flavor. I'm always going to come back to the same type. And here's what I want to point out to us this morning, that just like there's hundreds of different flavors of ice cream, there's lots of different flavors of people or types of people. And what often happens is we fall back on what we're comfortable with. In our character, we fall back on maybe what our dad was, or we fall back on what we were raised with, or we, we're, we're like Dennis, instead of trying something new, we just fall back on the chocolate peanut butter ice cream all the time. We kind of fall back to that which is most comfortable. Well, today I'm gonna challenge you to get out of your comfort zone. Don't fall back to that which is comfortable. Instead, let's fall back to one of these flavors that we're gonna see this morning, one of these types that we're gonna see today. Because in our story, I wanna show you that we find three different characters in our story, three different characteristics, three different types of people. And this week, I wanna ask you, what are you gonna be? I want you to notice, first of all, that we find uh, what, I'm, what I'm calling the courageous we find the, the one who is courageous. Well, who is this? Well, of course you can look at the story and you can find it's Esther. I would encourage you, and we, we can't do it for time's sake. I wanted to read all of the two chapters, 28 verses, but I, I want you to do that this afternoon. Go read Esther 5 and 6. And some of you are like, okay, I'll do that. And some of you are like, no, we ain't gonna do it. Go do it. Go read Esther 5 and 6. It is just, it is just dripping with amazing stories and, and uh, just this, this great um, picture of everything that's taking place. But when you come to Esther chapter five, verse one through four, what you find her doing is you find Esther going before the king. Remember she had, she had said in Esther chapter four, hey, Mar Mordecai, uh, pray and fast with all the Jews and then, and then I'll go before the king. Well, that day came. The third day came and Esther, she goes in before the king. And as she goes in before the king, remember it was a law that you couldn't go before the king unless you'd been called. Aren't you thankful that that's not the rule with our king? Our king, King God, King Jesus, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Hebrews 4.16 says that because of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne. But that wasn't the case with Mordecai, or excuse me, with King Ahasuerus. Esther goes in before the king, and the king holds out the scepter to her. And in respect, she comes and, and touches the tip of the, the scepter. And he says, Esther, what do you want? <clears throat> she says, king, I'd like for you and Haman to come to dinner. I'd like you to come to dinner. Well, Haman and Ahasuerus, they go to dinner. And at dinner that night, the king says, all right, Esther, we're here. What do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Now, Esther, we know that it's not well thought out. Why? Because she didn't say, well, I'll take half the kingdom, and then tomorrow I'll ask you for something else. <laughs> no, what she does, she says, well, king, if, if it pleases the king... Would you and Haman come to dinner tomorrow night? And then we're going to discover next week the real question she asks about freeing the people of God. But you know what I see in Esther is I see courage. Courage to do what? Courage to stand up and courage to speak out. Courage to stand up for what's right and courage to speak out the truth. But you know what else I want you to see this morning is that Esther that courage didn't start with her. Do you know who it started with? Mordecai. It started with Mordecai. You see, Esther had courage to stand up for her God and her, her people, but 
The reason she had courage is because I believe she watched that courage in Mordecai. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we heard about Mordecai hearing about a plot to kill the king, and it would have been in Mordecai's benefit to just let Big Than and Teresh kill the king. We're going to see it in just a moment, but he did not do that. He stood up and, and stood up for his king, even though it was a godless king and, and a godless culture, we can still see that Mordecai stood up and had courage and, and made a right decision. And what I see in Esther chapter number five is Esther emulating the very character that she saw in Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai, they were people that lived with integrity. Esther and Mordecai, they were people that lived with character. Esther and Mordecai, they were people that lived with honesty. And Esther and Mordecai, they were people that lived with courage. Can I tell you this morning that this is exactly uh, not only what she saw in Mordecai, but this is exactly what people need to see in you. The courage to stand up and the courage to speak out. The courage to stand up for what's right and the courage to speak out against what's wrong and the courage to speak out against what is right and the courage to stand up and say, you know what? I believe that this is God's will for our life. I believe that this is God's plan for our family. I believe that and begin to point people back to God and his purpose. You know what I notice when I look at the story of Mordecai and Esther is I see Esther having courage, not because she was just this courageous person, but because it had been instilled in her. It had been influenced into her by Mordecai. I found this statement, and I loved it when I was thinking about it, is those you influence may not always hear what you say, but they will most definitely see what you do. You know what? When Mordecai challenged Esther, Esther in Esther chapter 4, uh, for such a time as this, Mordecai wasn't sitting back going, or excuse me, Esther wasn't sitting back going, yeah, I, I really don't know if I know what he means. She was going, you know, he's not just saying it, he's lived it. He's not just saying have courage and character. I've watched him live it. And I don't have the time to go back and review our second message that we preached in the series. You can go online. It was preached in May, on May 12th, I believe. But you know what we see in Mordecai is we see a man that lived with godly character no matter what was taking place. And now we watch Esther, the, the, the adopted daughter that he raised, emulating or living out exactly what she saw in her dad, exactly what she saw in her adopted father. And on this Father's Day, I would be amiss to not challenge you dads to understand this. You're your family may not always hear what you say, but they will always see what you do. They will always see your character and that character, it bleeds through your life. And so you might think, well, uh, I, I'm going to tell them one thing and do another. No, sir. You may, you may be able to do that for a little bit of time while they're uh, maybe kids or while they're maybe teenagers, but there's going to come a point, doesn't there? There comes a point when you look at somebody and you really know who they are. They say one thing, but their life contradicts the very words that come out of their mouth. God help us that that would not be said of us. God help us that we would be a Mordecai, that we would be an Esther having courage to stand up and to live out with character each and every day. Those you influence, they may not always hear what you say, but they will most definitely see what you do. I see this morning Esther, I see Mordecai, they lived with courage. We find that's the first group of people, the courageous, but the second is what I call the conceited the conceited. We don't have time to do it, but if we were to look Esther chapter uh, 5 verse 9 down through verse number 14, what you find taking place is Haman and Ahasuerus, they go to dinner. 
They go to dinner at Esther's, and the king again, he says, what do you want? She says, come back tomorrow night. And you know what, Esther, Haman, he's leaving that dinner that night, and his head is about as big as this room. Haman's filled with himself. Haman is leaving, and his head's held up high, and he's just uh, completely arrogant and filled with who he is, and he's walking along in the back of his brain thinking, man... I got asked to dinner with the queen and king. Nobody else was there. I'm the prime minister. He might have had a little strut. I don't know. I don't know if it's strut. He just, he just walked with some swag, you know, and puffed his chest out, and maybe he was bopping his head, just walking in arrogance until he walked past the king's gate because you know who's at the king's gate? Mordecai. You see, as, as Haman was walking, there people were bowing, people were bowing, others were bowing, bowing, they're bowing. Then he comes to Mordecai. And what's Mordecai doing? I imagine Mordecai, Haman walks by, I imagine Mordecai just going, good evening. Again, I don't think he was doing it, Haman or Mordecai doing an arrogance, but Haman goes by. And all that joy of who he was leaves his mind. And now he's walking home. Oh, oh, I hate that Mordecai. Oh, that guy drives me nuts. Oh, and he's going home frustrated. He gets home and he goes to his wife. Her name is Zeresh. What a great name. The book of Esther has some incredible names. Mamukin, Zeresh, Big Than, Turesh. You couldn't make these up. Haman goes home to Zeresh and comes into Zeresh and she says, Haman, something seems to be bothering you. But I can also tell that maybe there's something good that happened. Oh, yeah, I got, got invited to dinner with the king and queen, but oh, this guy Mordecai. But then you notice in Esther chapter four and verse number 11, he kind of gets over Mordecai just for a second. And you know what he does? He calls all of his friends, his wife Zeresh, and his children. Now we know from Esther chapter nine that Haman had 10 sons. So he might've had some daughters, but he calls all of his family. And so I imagine there's about 15, 20 people, 30 people sitting there. And he says, now I wanted to call you all here today. I wanted to call my family with me today. And I wanna just talk to you about something. I wanna talk to you about how amazing I am. I want to show you something. Do you know how rich I am? I mean, think about the riches that we have in our family. Go read verse 11. He speaks about the riches of his household. I am so rich. Did you know I'm so rich that I could go buy a fast food place just right now? I mean, I could go drop it cash and I, I, it would, I could go buy a Mercedes. I could do it right now. Some of you didn't like my Camelac joke from a few weeks ago, so I'm not using it again. You liked it? I could go buy a Camelac. No, nothing. You know what he does? He just, he just begins to boast on his riches. And then he takes it a step further. And my kids here, they're amazing. Aren't you guys glad I'm your dad? <laughs> Happy Father's Day to me. And he begins to gloat on that. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, you guys want to know who the king invited to dinner? <laughs> really, the queen me. I went before Esther and the king, and it was just me and them. I didn't even feel like a third wheel. It was fine. It was a good time. 
Oh, by the way, did I tell you? I got invited to another dinner tomorrow. <sighs> you guys feel pretty special being around me, don't you? You say, Pastor, he didn't do that. Go read Esther 5.11. He just sits them all down and gloats about himself, a conceited, pride-filled man. But then you read verse number 13. What's it say in verse number 13? Go look at it. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as Mordecai the Jew is sitting at the king's gate. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as Mordecai is still alive. Wow. You say, why is that a wow? Because if things were really going that well for him, why does he care about Mordecai? But he does. He's conceited, proud, and he is filled with bitterness and jealousy and envy and frustration. And you know what has happened in Haman's life? is his bitterness was crowding out things that could bring joy. His bitterness was crowding out the very things that he was trying to celebrate. Did you know that that's what pride and bitterness does in your life and my life? Bitterness, it causes us to view things in a unbiblical and a wrong way. And you know what else happens in, with bitterness? The Bible says that with bitterness, it doesn't just affect us. His bitterness, it's affecting his family because here, and we're gonna see in just a little bit, uh, verse number 14, what they tell him. They're there and he's like, I don't know what to do with Mordecai. And here's the family and friends suggestion. Why don't you build a 75 foot gallows and hang him? Just put it right next to the lawn gnome be a great decoration. You know what they, you know what he says? That's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. Great. Good call. Good family meeting. But here's what's crazy to me. Why would they even think about that? Like, why would it be, oh, you have trouble with somebody? Just kill them. It's because that's all they've seen in Haman. They've just watched Haman live with pride and bitterness and arrogance. This, this is nothing new. Haman didn't just change overnight. We saw it in chapter number three, and we'll see it again in the next chapter that here's Haman. He's just living with this pride and this bitterness and this arrogance, and it's defiling his whole family. And that's what the scripture says, Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You see what bitterness does when it creeps into your life and my life? It doesn't just defile and hurt me and cause me to lose joy. It defiles and hurts others around me. And sadly, there's, this is what many people live with today. They live with a conceited heart and a, a bitter heart that says, I, I, I'm the best. I Look at me. I'm, I'm the greatest. Look at me. That, boy, nobody's as good as I am. And we begin to be filled and live with pride. And then when we see others around us maybe excelling in something or somebody maybe does something that offends us, then we let bitterness in because I shouldn't be hurt like that because of pride. I, I shouldn't be treated like this. And we begin to see that defile and hurt our family. And Haman, he was a conceited, he was a bitter man. And his life was such a horrible influence on those around him. Esther, Mordecai, they lived with courage, the courageous. Haman, he lived with conceitedness, with that pride. 
We see the courageous, the conceited, but notice thirdly, the commended. Esther chapter 6 and verse number 1, the king couldn't sleep. He couldn't, he couldn't sleep, and he gets up, and there's no NyQuil, you know, to help you go back to sleep. There's no sleep enhancers or anything like that, and so what does he do? Well, I'll read the history books. History puts everybody to sleep. Maybe that'll do it. Just kidding, John. He goes, and he reads the history books. And they're going through and they're reading and they're being read to him. And I imagine him sitting there and it's like, and then uh, this, this person uh, went over here and met with this prince. And then this guy did this. He's just kind of going through. And then the guy's reading and says, and, and Mordecai the Jew saved the king from a, a plot to kill his life from Big Than and Teresh and just keeps reading. And I can imagine the king going, hey, wait, stop, stop, stop. Rewind. What'd you just say? Mordecai the Jew saved the king, that'd be you, from Big Than and Teresh, a plot to kill you. And maybe the king goes, well, can I, can I ask a question? What, what do we do for Mordecai? Sir, doesn't say we did anything here. Well, what should we do? He saved my life. Well, I don't know. Well, is, is there anybody out in the courtyard? Well, you want to know who was out in the courtyard? Haman was out in the courtyard. Well, why was Haman out in the courtyard? Because Haman was coming to ask permission from the king to hang Mordecai. That's why Haman's there. If, listen, this is an amazing part of the story. And every time I read it, I get goosebumps and excited and I laugh. Because Haman's out there like, oh, I'm gonna kill Mordecai. I'm just, oh man, I just wait for the king to wake up. I'm gonna go in. All right, Mr. King, this king, this guy doesn't bow down to me. He's a jerk. I'm gonna treat him bad. King, we need to hang him. And oh man, I'm, and he's working on his speech. All of a sudden the doors open up. Hey, Haman, the king wants to see you. <sighs> yes. He walks in, again, head held high, shoulders back. Walks in, the king says, Haman, now wait, before you talk, I just need to ask your advice on something. Well, yeah, yeah, king, I'm your prime minister. I'm your best counselor. I know you had Mamukin before, but man, me, Mamukin, I'm better. Yes, ask. And the king says, Haman, what should be done to the person that the king wants to honor? Here's what Haman's thinking. Who else would you want to honor other than me? Here's his conceited spirit again. And then, it's great. And the king said, Haman goes, you know, I guess I've never really thought about that. But um, I would say, give him your royal robe and this person Put him upon the best, your royal horse. Put him on your royal horse. And then, you know what? <sighs> Give him your crown. That'd be great. Put your royal robe, royal horse, royal crown. Oh, wait. <sighs> King, I got it. After you get the robe on him and, wait, no, this is even better. You should find like your highest prince. Like someone, someone that, not you, but maybe the next in line. And you should have him put the robe on this person, put this person on the horse, put the crown on this person. And then, king, you should have him walk this person around the kingdom, around Shushan the palace, and just, just have them repeat these words. This is what the king wants to do to those he desires to honor this is what the king wants to do to those he desires to honor. And I can see the king sitting on his throne, and it's like light bulb. Bing! 
Haman, that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead, and you know what Haman's thinking, go ahead and find Joe, the other prince, and have him do this for you. Instead, that's not what he hears. Haman, great idea. Why don't you go get Mordecai, the gatekeeper, and since you're my highest prince, do all that to him. Make sure that none of it's undone. Yeah. I love it. Every time I read Esther chapter number six, I'm like, I just want to read it again because Mordecai or Haman, you got to read the Bible with some imagination. You know Haman wasn't like, okay. I could see Haman like, I'm sorry. What did you just say? Go do that to Mordecai. Are, are there two Mordecais? <laughs> or you mean like Mordecai, the gatekeeper, the Jew Mordecai? Like that Mordecai? Yes, Haman, didn't you hear me? Go do that. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and man, he's walking out. You can see the veins popping out of his head. And he goes and he gets Mordecai. Mordecai. I don't imagine he was like, Mordecai, the king desires to honor you. He's like, Mordecai, the king wants to honor you. <laughs> Come here. Stand right here. Get the robe. Get on the horse. Put the crown on. This is what the king wants to do to those he wants to honor. This is what the king wants to do. <laughs> Man, I can see him just going through this. And every time he says it, he gets more and more ticked off. You know what happens? He gets done honoring Mordecai. You know what Mordecai does? He goes back to work. That's what Mordecai does. Go read the story. He goes back to the, gates, the, the king's gatekeeper. You say, why does that mean anything? Because if I'm Mordecai, I'm calling in. Hey, uh, the king just honored me. I should get the week off. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it was there in small print. Yeah. Actually, it might be a month. No, but Mordecai, we see his character again, and then we still see Haman's conceitedness. Why? Because the Bible says that Haman, he covers his head and goes home. People are like, is that, is that Haman? I don't know. It's his coat, but I don't know. Is that, is that love? I don't know. He goes home humiliated. But here's a great part. He gets home, and his wife's like, why are you covered up? You'll never, you will never believe what happened to me. He rehearses the whole story. And you know what Zeresh and his family says? Yep, we always knew it. Mordecai is going to be the end of you. <laughs> what a great family. You know what I see in this though? The commendation of Mordecai. Do you know why it happened? It happened because of his character. It happened because of his integrity. It happened because of that courage and that honesty. It happened because he stood up and made right choices in hard situations. He knew what decisions to make. And when you go down the road, you're going to understand that commendation comes to character. It may not come in this life, but God says, I will bless right character. I will work in the life of one with right character. The courageous, the conceited, the commended, I close with this, and this is the challenge. What can we walk, walk away with? What, what can we leave and, and understand from this passage? And I want you to see something with me. 
And that's where we want to start with that question that we went back to or started with a moment ago. Is what type of person will you choose to be this week? What type of flavor are you going to live and have in your life this week? Are you going to be the one like Esther and Mordecai that lives with character and courage? The one that stands up and speaks up for Christ and speaks out for Christ and the one that lives with some integrity that chooses what's right no matter who is watching and somebody that at the workplace lives with honesty and in the home, somebody whose life actually matches their words. Are you going to be conceited like Haman? thinking life's about you, upset when anybody wrongs you and uh, live, living with that bitterness, living with that frustration. You see this morning, Esther and Mordecai, they took steps of courage and faith and Haman, he just lived in that uh, conceitedness and, and foolishness. And so I wonder what type of person are you gonna be this week? And with it being Father's Day, I wanna ask you dads, what type of a man are you going to be this week? In this story, we see two different men. We see Mordecai, who invested good into his family. We see Haman, who invested bitterness and conceit and, or bitterness and, and pride into his family. Which one are you going to be? You see, when you look at this, and I would ask the dads, are you a Mordecai or a Haman? God used Mordecai to help Esther have courage to make right choices in hard situations. You see, God worked in Mordecai and used him in such a way that Esther, when the time came, she knew what decision to make. Why? She had seen it in her adopted dad. You know what the word of God says in Proverbs chapter number 20? It says this in verse six and seven. Most men, they proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. The just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Man, I believe that we're seeing the principle of Proverbs 26 and 7. We're seeing that lived out in the life of Esther and Mordecai. Here was a man that he did not uh, overlook the opportunity to invest good, godly, God-honoring principles into Esther. And now he's watching Esther live out with that courage and that character before his very eyes. So dads, I want to ask you, what are you going to be? Granddad, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a Mordecai or a Haman? Are you going to invest character and courage and godly integrity into your family, or is life going to be about you? Is anger going to come really easily when somebody doesn't do what you want? Is bitterness going to set in in your life when somebody wrongs you? What are you going to be, a, a Mordecai or a Haman? But even with it being Father's Day, the fact of the matter is that regardless if you're a dad or not a dad, everybody has influence. Every single person has influence. And this week, you're going to choose what type of influence you have in someone else. You're going to choose at work this week what type of character you're going to live with. You're going to choose in, in conversation this week if you're going to have courage to stand up and speak about Jesus Christ. You're going to have to choose this week as a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a single or a high school student or a teacher or a, a factory worker. You're going to choose this week if your life is going to be uh, the definition of God-honored principles or if this week you're going to say, no, life is about me. Mordecai, courageous character. Esther, she had courage to stand up and speak out. Haman, he lived with conceit and bitterness. I wonder this week, what are you going to do? See, God used Esther to help 
Uh, God used Mordecai to help Esther have the character and courage to make right choices in hard situations. May you and I this week use the influence we have to help those around us learn to make right choices in hard situations. But this morning, I want to close by asking you this last question. You know, we talk about it being Father's Day. What type of father are you? What type of influence are you? But I want to ask you this morning if you know that you're a child of God. Do you know that God is your heavenly father? Have you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and save you? If you're here today and you don't know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, can I tell you this morning that Jesus, that God, he desires to be your heavenly father. He desires to have a relationship with you. He desires to be you, for you to be adopted into his family. And that doesn't come by baptism or church attendance or being a good person. That comes by you and I asking Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sin and be our savior. That comes by us putting our faith and our trust in him and in him alone. Friend, listen. God desires that every one of us would have a relationship with him. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior, today God wants you to make that decision to bring him into your life. If you do have God in your life, would you make the choice today? God, help me to be a Mordecai. Help me to use the influence to help those around me make right choices in hard situations. God, help me to be an Esther. Help me to have the courage to speak up and to stand up and to speak out. May we, this, may we today make the decision, God, this week, the flavor of character I choose, the type of character I choose, I choose God-honoring principles. I choose a God-honoring life. This week, I'm going to seek God. This week, I'm going to have God's character shown in my life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.